Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Ramadan Mubarak to you and yours. This Ramadan, as we all gather to share a meal with our loved ones, we need to remember those in Gaza who are also gathering to share a meal with so many who aren't there that were just there a year ago. Since October the 7th, the Human Development Fund has assisted over 200,000 people in Gaza, providing them with essential aid, such as food baskets, water, hot meals, winter items, shelter, hygiene kits, and baby formula. Your generous contributions are making a significant impact, especially in Rafah. Let's sustain this momentum and continue providing crucial support during this sacred and blessed month. Please visit hdfund.org slash qalam. That's hdfund.org slash qalam, Q-A-L-A-M, to learn more about our global reach this Ramadan and choose where you'd like to direct your support during this blessed month. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this month a time of mercy, solace, acceptance, and triumph for the ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And may Allah continue to use all of us as a means and never replace us. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Assalamu alaikum. This is Abdurrahman Murphy and you are listening to Heartwork, The Virtues of Good Friendship, taken from Imam al-Ghazali's Ihya ulum al-Din, The Revival of the Religious Sciences. In this series, we read and explore the eight characteristics that Imam al-Ghazali has outlined as the foundation of being a virtuous friend. He builds off of verses in the Qur'an, hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, and stories of the righteous from our tradition, and we try to apply them in the context of contemporary real-life examples. At Roots, we have daily offerings for the community across a variety of demographics, focusing on social and spiritual growth. Your contribution helps us grow and allows us to provide more for you and your family and friends. Become a monthly sustainer at rootsdfw.org sustain, and please honor us with a visit to Dallas, Texas. Welcome home. The function, the focus that we have of this particular book is to explore how we can become better friends. This is not supposed to be an allegation against our friends, but rather it's supposed to be a reminder about how we can improve and sharpen our own uh, friendship our ability to be good friends. The second thing is that a lot of things that are described in this text are uh, higher levels of friendship, right? They're like ideal levels of friendship, and they're not meant to be with every person that you meet, right? So it's, it's, it's not sustainable. They weren't all the status of Uthman and Ali and Omar radiallahu anhum. So to understand that the first section last week, what was the first section about? What topic? Good friendship with regards to materials. Yeah, yeah, material substance. So whether it's like wealth or whether it's any sort of property, um, being somebody that was a good friend and you had the virtue of friendship with regards to your materials. So things like being generous, things like not being stingy, uh, being open-handed, open-hearted, uh, not putting the material world above the world of your relationship with this person. Right. So. He gave examples, and he's giving examples uh, of this. And each example kind of has its own lesson. So I wanted to share with you guys, inshallah, tonight, some narrations about this. And, and I saw an article the other day that was talking about um, the social uh, phenomenon of loneliness, right? That people ultimately, even though we are potentially the most connected that we've ever been in human history in terms of 
connections, however you want to define that. Um, people are experiencing levels of loneliness and distance from uh, each other that are almost also unprecedented, right? And part of that has to do with the fact that there is a little bit of a socio-economic uh, reality to the fact that we work more than we ever have before, and we are more consumed with our careers than we ever, than in most places in history, right? Because you're an American, and you're like, we just work until we die, and then they replace us. Happy story. Uh, but the reality is that there is some of that, but the other side of why there is such a challenge with regards to relationships is because, not just the quantitative challenge, but the qualitative challenge, which is that when we look at the example of people before us, we find that they didn't just assume that friendship was something that would come naturally. They actually worked on it. And that's why the first example he gave was he said that the relationship between two friends, two brothers or two sisters, is just like a relationship between a husband and a wife. That marriage requires work in order for it to be great. And so does friendship. You know, there are those friends that we don't call as much or text as much. And then we wonder sometimes why we fell off. Well, the reality was that there wasn't enough work put into the friendship either from one or both sides. And so this book is hoping to explore how we can put in better quality uh, work into those relationships. Okay, let's go ahead and explain some of these narrations. So the first one we'll talk to tonight is about takalluf. You guys know what takalluf is? What is takalluf? Who can give me a scenario that perfectly describes takalluf? You guys are literally describing takalluf right now. Okay, takalluf, it can mean when a person has... In Arabic, it actually means something different, I think, than in Urdu. In Arabic, it actually is like a, uh, it has a level of pretentiousness to it, like the definition is um, about a person thinking highly of themselves. Um, and so that's takalluf, but, uh, or, or estimating themselves to be of a certain status. But takalluf in the, in the, like the Urdu Desi tradition is what? Hesitation because of shyness or like awkwardness, right? So you go, literally what I just did, I asked you to, who can give me takalluf and like, Everyone here nodded their heads, right? And then I said, who, what is it like? And everyone's just silent. So tekalif is like when you go to someone's house and they're like, do you want something to eat? And you're starving and you're like, no. <laughs> right? Or like, would you like something to drink? And you're like, you have like the Sahara Desert in your throat and you're like, no, I'm good. <laughs> and you absolutely could benefit from whatever it is that they're offering you, but you're denying. Why are you denying it? Why? Why do we do that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you. Yeah, because you don't want to trouble them, right? You're like, no, no, don't, you know, even though you're asking, you have the cup of water in your hand, you're already six inches from me, and there's really no trouble in you handing, in fact, it'd be more, it'd be easier for you just to hand me the cup than take it back to the kitchen, I don't want to trouble you, right? Okay, that was a joke. Okay, so that's one, right? Why else? Why else do we just deny, yeah? Okay, yes, formality, and he's actually going to talk about this later. He's going to say that, True brothers and true sisters, although there's always going to be a layer of privacy, he says formality can be one of the obstructions towards true friendship, right? Over formality, being hyper formal. Another thing is, how many of you were taught that it was like, hey, it was bad? Like, don't take anything from anyone. You guys remember the sleepover phenomenon of the 90s? Your friends invite you to sleep over, and they're like, and your parents are like, no, you can't go, but tell them that they can come sleep over. <laughs> Meanwhile, their parents are telling them the same thing. So you're like in the sleepover Cold War, right? It's like stalemate of sleepover. And there's other reasons now that I'm a parent that I'm definitely on board with no sleepovers that are a little more serious. But one of the reasons that I have heard with my own ears was, what will people say if when you sleep over, 
you eat their food, they're going to say that this son or this person, this child, doesn't even have dinner in their own house. That it's embarrassing, like we can't take care of them. So we have to send them to someone else's house for dinner because we can't feed our own children. That is an example of this kind of hyper takalifi formality, okay? And this stuff can strangle and suffocate a relationship between people because there's not an allowance for this organic uh, uh, bond that Islam encourages people to have between one another. And sometimes we see things, and because we've been raised to be like hyper on alert for not burdening someone, not making things difficult, not seeming like we're sort of like matlabi, you know what that word means? My Urdu is pretty on fleek tonight, right? Matlabi, right? <laughs> right? It comes from talab, to seek like you're self-serving, you're just seeking stuff. Because we've been raised to consciously almost always be thinking about these things, we don't engage in what is otherwise very good normal behavior. Very good normal friendship behavior, okay? So some of these stories I'm going to read, you guys are going to be a little bit sort of like shocked by them. But I want you to understand that for people, for two people that consider themselves brothers or sisters, or a group of friends that consider themselves close or tight-knit, this stuff can, can actually be normal, right? This can be an expression of love between the people in that relationship. So there's a person, a great, uh, uh, pious person from the Salaf named Fat al-Mawsidi, and he once came to his friend's house, but his friend was out of town. So he stopped by his friend's place, friend was out of town, and his friend's wife was home, and so he said, hey, I have to borrow something from Fat or, or from my friend, the friend of Fat. I have to borrow something from your husband. Can I just go get it myself? Is it okay if I know where it is? It's inside of his, you know, those days they had chests. It would be like it's inside of his drawer, inside of his cabinet or whatever. Can I go get it myself? And his wife was like, sure, that's fine. Go ahead. You know where, I don't know what you're talking about. You know where it is. Go get it yourself. Cool. He goes in, he gets it himself. He takes it and he leaves. Okay. When uh, 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 the brother came home from his trip, the servant of the house, they kind of was giving, giving him a little update what's going on. The servant said, listen, I don't want to start any drama, but your wife did something that's not very, it's not cool. And then he was like, what? And he said, well, she, the servant said, well, she let one of your friends in and she let your friend just come into your belongings and take something from you. Like just steal something from you. And Fet goes, or the man goes, are you serious? For real? And then the servant goes, yeah, I saw it with my own eyes. And then the, the man goes, uh, you're free to go. Like you have freedom. Here's your money. Here's everything. See you later. You don't, you, you don't have to be under my uh, work anymore, which is a good thing. And the servant was like, what are you talking about? Why did, you, why did you just give me this? This is like a great gift. Why did you let me you know, go and, and explore? And he said, he said, if what you told me is true, you could have not given me a better gift. You could have not given me a better gift, meaning what? The fact that our relationship was so strong that my friend Fetz thought that he could come over to my house when I wasn't there and that he could come and borrow something from me when I wasn't there, it shows and it puts to rest any doubt in my heart that we're not close. Now I know that we're close, right? So for all you who want to borrow from the closet of your friend, right? You want to borrow different clothes or the shoes or the new whatever, Air Force Ones or whatever? Bismillah. Put that friendship to the test, right? I want to see half of you here next week because you broke up relationship. No, I'm joking. But that's a sign. That's an example, right? Now think to yourself, like, who are the people you have in your life? Do you have anyone in your life that you would be cool with them doing this? And I think there's a lot of people, if I, if I know people here... I think that there's a lot of people in here that would be like that, right? Like you, you're, you're out of town, your friend texts you, hey, alaikum. is it okay if I borrow something? Like we're going to go hoop, can I borrow your basketball? Can I use your evolution? And you're like, absolutely, it's in the garage, man. Just go get it, it's in the, it's in the box, right? Just, and, and when I get back, you can bring it to me next time we hoop or whatever. 
right? That's a very, what I would consider to be, brothers, is that standard? Normal practice? Would anyone here be like outraged, clutching your pearls, like how dare he? No, right? So this is a good sign. When you read Islamic texts like this, sometimes the exact example is kind of concerning. You're like, well, I don't have a certain servant, you know, flip the page. No, think about the variables of the example and apply it to yourself. Do you have people that come over to your house and they borrow outfits for weddings? Girls, sisters, anybody? I'm trying my hardest, okay? <laughs> Do they ask if you have jewelry that matches your clothes? Whatever, you know? And you're just like, it's no, it's no problem, right? You're just like, cool, go for it. This is an example that what Imam Ghazali is talking about is not so far-fetched. Like, we are practicing some of these things. So even though there's an ideal and we walk into these books a little bit scared, look at this, you're already one for one, mashallah, let's go, okay? The next one, the next story... There was once a guy who approached Abu Huraira, okay? So lesson number one is don't be tikalufi. Don't be a person that's hyper tikalufi, right? If somebody, I will never forget, someone told me something. He said one time, he offered me, I forgot what it was, but he offered something to me. It was like insignificant. It was like food or water or something. And I said, no, 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 no. And he goes, can I tell you something? And I said, what? He goes, if I didn't want to give it to you, I wouldn't give it to you. I wouldn't have offered it. Like, if I'm offering it to you, don't say no because you think I don't want to, and you're trying to, like, checkmate me logically. He said, if I want you to have it, I'm going to offer it to you. If I offer it to you and you say no, I'm not trying to play this game with you, right? This isn't, like, one of those kinds of relationships. I'm just trying to be straight up. If you're thirsty, have this water. And if you want it, right, it would actually make me happy. Just like his friend was like, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, that this brother of mine, this sister of mine, we're not formal like that. I'm so happy to know that I have a real one. I have a really, really good friend, right? So think of your friends in this way. So lesson number one, don't be the hyper tikalifi person, okay? At the same time, if you are not that close to somebody, maybe a little tikalif is not a bad thing, okay? <laughs> so another story, Abu Huraira, the famous companion of the Prophet ﷺ, Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, there was a man who once approached Abu Huraira, okay? Now this is kind of an interesting, uh, uh, um, you know, Interesting challenge, so I'm not I'm gonna be a little sensitive. Have you guys ever met someone and you felt like you just clicked right away? I'm not talking about romantic romantically, right? Everyone's like, yes. <laughs> I'm talking about friendships. Have you met a friend and you thought, you know what, hey, we're like we're pretty similar. Like we think everything is pretty much, you know, we think all you know the same stuff is funny or cool or whatever. So you meet someone and you kind of click. And almost like a romantic relationship, sometimes like things can move kind of fast. <laughs> what I'm talking about okay you guys understand <laughs> Imam Ghazali says that even in friendship you have to be concerned not to force friendship too quickly you have to let friendship develop organically it's very interesting right he says you have to take time to hit these milestones of friendship and sometimes if you come on too strong because you really want to be friends with somebody and you think, you know, especially in this age of, of stalking online and knowing someone before you've met them and then acting like you've never seen them before. Oh my God, who are you? What's your name? I know exactly your name. I know your last name. I know your middle name. I know what you wore yesterday. I know what you ate three days ago. But please introduce yourself to me like we're not faking this, right? Abu Huraira said, that a person came to him and he says, I want you to be my brother for the sake of Allah, right? So someone came to, the, to uh, Abu Huraira, right? He says, I want you to be inni uridu let me be your brother for the sake of Allah. Right? Which is, again, a strong statement. I want to be like your best friend. Okay, Abu Huraira, you and me. Now, Abu Huraira, of course, is a notable companion. People know who he is. 
he's a Sahabi, there's obviously reason that people want to be his best friend, right? This isn't something that's being said to everybody. So it's like seeing Sheikh Omar Sulaiman at VRIC and be like, Sheikh Omar, can I be your best friend? Okay? Like, it's kind of interesting. He'd be like, uh, yeah, sure, tomorrow, inshallah, right? So Abu Huraira asks him, he says, do you know what this entails? Like, you're trying to basically be best friends with me, and you want to be like my closest buddy. Like, when people ask me, Abu Huraira, who's your best friend? You want me to say that guy that I just met. And he says, do you know what it takes to be someone's best friend? Do you know what kind of brotherhood that requires? And the person said, no, I don't, right? And this is a problem when people are looking at the result instead of the process. I said, no. He said, well, one of the things that's required of best friends, good, close friends, is that when you see your money in your hand, you don't think for a second that you have greater right to it than I do. Like, even though it's in your hand, you consider it as good as mine. You for a second think, do I eat it first? You would just say, yeah, of course. No problem, right? And that's normal. Like, I'm not cool with that, right? I'm not there yet with you, Abu Huraira. Like, you're really popular and famous, and you've done a lot for the ummah. But, like, I don't know. My money is my money. And so Abu Huraira, he said to him, then I'll see you later, man. Then I'll see you later. Like, we can be masjid friends. We can see each other at Salah. Salam alaikum, alaikum salam. How's your family? I don't have one. Okay, guys. Anyways, give my salam to them, right? You can be like that kind of, but, but, you know, brothers for the sake of community. But like, if you want to be like my best friend, that requires work. So what is, what is it teaching us? Expectations. expectations. What do you mean by expectations? What kind of expectations do you want to have from a friend? Yes. Very good. Wow, mashallah. The expectations, number one. How many friendships are destroyed because there's uneven expectations? Right? Like how many people think that I'm your best friend, aren't you mine? And you're like, yes. <laughs> Is this a final answer? You know, like, can I phone a friend? Right? Is it safe to answer honestly? Sometimes the expectations are lopsided. They're not even. Right? And so sometimes when a person is in a, is in a friendship you know, safety from broken hearts later, you have to make sure that things are on even keel a little bit, right? If, if, if one person, if you're constantly the one that's working, working, working towards inviting this person, planning their surprise birthday party, planning their surprise half birthday party, doing all these things, and you don't feel reciprocated, okay? Then number one, you're doing it for the sake of Allah. So don't feel for any second that like, you know what, it was a waste of time, blah, blah, blah. No, but you have to sometimes even check and say, you know what, maybe this relationship Maybe for them, their ceiling is a lot lower than mine. Like maybe I want to be a lot more invested into this friendship than them, and I keep getting disappointed, right? I see a lot of people sort of like quietly nodding, and I'll tell you a secret, okay, from the desk of Abdurrahman Murphy. Along with marriage issues, feeling rejected as a friend is probably number, like 1A, 1B on the things that come to my, my questions. Like I have friends, and I don't feel like they love me as much as I love them. I will do more things for them than they'll do for me. And it causes serious anxiety, serious depression. It really hurts people. And part of it is not that I tell them it's your fault, but I do say to them this, you have to know who has the capacity to reciprocate your love. You have to know that, right? If you're trying to invest everything you have into somebody and that person maybe just isn't at that level, you can't be upset you have to know that it just wasn't a good match. 
right? Two good people, it, sound, it literally sounds like I'm talking about marriage. Two good people can also not be right for the best of friendships, right? Some of it is also like divinely given. Allah Ta'ala just grants certain people in their life that moment. Ibtihaj Muhammad, may Allah bless her, my daughter's hero, okay? We read the book, The Color Blue, every night. And then she's like, Baba, do you know her? And I'm like, yeah, I do actually. You know, a little, you want me to, you want me to message her? Maybe give her a little, get, get a video for her baby Nuni? She's like, you can do that? I'm like, yeah, girl, I got you. Don't worry about this, right? And then, wallahi, I tried and she didn't respond to me. Uh, so if anyone uh, can reach out to Ibtihaj and let her know. Um, she told me something a long time ago that I'll never forget, man. SubhanAllah, we spoke at a conference together. And the, one of the questions came up. And the question was about friendship. And it was like a person basically who decided that they wanted to start taking their deen a little bit more seriously, but they felt like, you know what, I, I know that in the group that I'm in, it's not their fault, but I don't feel like I'm always fitting in with my goals, right? And she said something that I'm a athlete. She had, a, she had the courage to say what I did not have the courage to say. It crossed my mind, but she said it. She said, you know, friendships, like a good book, come to an end that you enjoy them just like you enjoyed a great book. But at some point they come to an end and it doesn't have to be bitter or mean or anything. It can be like a really nice conclusion. And there will be a little bit of sadness, of course, because when things end, that's a reason for us to understand that, right? Don't always say that we have to be friends because we've been friends forever. You guys know what I'm talking about? You grew up with somebody and then you feel this impulse that we have to stay friends. It's actually not the case. And sometimes this itself, this false uh, uh, obligation that you put upon yourself leads to more heartbreak later, right? If it's naturally happening and, re and it's recurring and it's feeding into itself, alhamdulillah, that's a blessing. But there may be some relationships in your life where it's already reached its peak and now it's coming on the way down. And that's okay. It doesn't mean, again, that you have to act brand new, that you don't know the person, that you like to forget their number, no but it might mean that your expectations for them cannot be the same as they once were five years ago because life changes and it changes people, right? May Allah Ta'ala protect us. Okay, so Abu Huraira was clear. Abu Huraira was clear. When he saw this guy coming up to him, he wanted him to know, when you say this statement to people, understand what you're saying. You can't just walk around and want to be best friends with everybody, right? Just because someone follows you and you follow them and you, you know, share and you give your emotions back to them on Instagram, doesn't mean that you guys are the best of friends because it takes work. It takes sacrifice, okay? Uh, the next story, Ali radiallahu an, the son of al Hussein. So we're not talking about Ali here, the uh, cousin of the Prophet We're talking about Ali radiallahu an's grandson, okay? So his son, al Hussein, named his son Ali. May Allah be pleased with all of them. He said something really interesting. He said that, do some of you, so this is now talking about the expectations and the standards of what it means to be someone close to somebody. He said that, uh, sorry, I apologize, let me skip this story, we'll go to the next one. Al-Hasan, who's also uh, one of the grandsons of the Prophet Muhammad he said, uh, someone said to him, have you done your salah yet? Have you done your prayer yet? As I read it in Arabic, I was very, very scared because it just reminded me, I heard my mom's voice. Salait, right, okay. Salaita. Yes, I have. So they asked him, have you prayed yet? And they weren't asking him to test him. They wanted to know if he prayed so that he could pray together. They could pray to Jama'ah. So they said, have you prayed yet? He said, yes. And then they responded and they said, فَإِنَّ أَهْلَ السُّوقِ 
لم يصلوا that they didn't pray like you what lesson is this teaching us about friendship it's teaching us that whether or not you realize it you will invariably adopt the characteristics of who you surround yourself with okay so al hasan here is saying they're asking him have you prayed and he says yes and their standard for whether or not they should have prayed was not the adhan was not the iqama of the masjid it was what other people on the market they're like well we were all shopping like that's why we didn't pray and he said hold on who goes to the market and says is it time for dhuhr who goes to the market for the adhan right we look at the minaret we don't look at north park we wait for the sign to pray salah from the different signs of Allah's reality for better or for worse about friendship is that whoever you put yourself in the environment of will inevitably influence who you are and we often say this in a bad way right we're like don't be friends with bad people by the way that's like a really really horrible thing to say because the reality is all of us are pretty bad people not enough people are nodding <laughs> meaning we all have mistakes do we have mistakes so would you like someone to walk up to you and say you know what i don't like this about you sorry can't be friends everybody right And would I like it if you came up to me and I said, hey, I mean, do you want to be friends? And you're like, my beard's longer than you, chump. <laughs> right? My beard's longer than yours. I'd be like, I still want to be your friend. You're like, can't hear you. Your beard's too short. <laughs> right? I mean, mashallah is crushing it with the beard. Okay? So we all have things that when people, you know what I mean? Our standards for ourselves and for others might be a little bit. So we can't now make these judgments about people and say, I can't associate with this person because of it. That's a very exceptional case. Right? Imam Ghazali even later in this book says that. He goes, the idea, have you guys ever heard the phrase like, don't be friends with that kid, they're a bad kid? Okay, I was that kid, by the way, growing up. That was me. It's really interesting now uh, when I go back and do fundraisers for that masjid. So, <laughs> listen to this kid that no, we told you not to listen to 25 years ago. So, what is he saying here? He's saying that you have to be careful who you put yourself around. However, no one is in their essence excommunicable. Meaning, you have to pick and choose your times. There was a question someone asked last week, and this is the answer to that question. They said, how do we maintain friendships with all different kinds of people when maybe, because we talked about being compatible last week, right? When maybe in some things we're compatible and in some things we're not, okay? And I said, this is a good question, and the answer that we've been grown up with usually is what? Don't be friends with those people at all. So now we've had these cliques in the Muslim community. Right, we have the hijabis and the non-hijabis, right? And then we have the hijabis and we have the jubabis, the abaya girls. And then you have the naqabis, right? Top of the rung, piety, they look at everybody. And then we have the brothers who have beards and then we have brothers who have longer beards, right? So like we have the Zayn Meliks and then we have like the hipster beards. And then we go from there and then we have, and, and, there's, and then as soon as we walk into a room, what do we do? We size each other up, right? So you're like, okay, interesting, he's wearing a pant shirt. All right, no shwarkamis, no thobe. And you start to give even people like a mental score. You're like religion score like, I don't know, maybe like a 6.1, all right? <laughs> this guy is 11.0, right, okay? And you start to say things, and, and this is the way, this is what shaitan loves. Shaitan loves this. Because what shaitan doesn't want you to look at is the heart of the person. He just wants you to look on the outside, okay? 
How many people would have looked at Omar on the day after he converted and said, man, I'm not going to be close to this guy. In fact, when he came to accept Islam, all the companions in the house of Dar al-Arqam, where they were, they said to the Prophet, Ya Rasulullah, don't let him in. They judged him, right? And they tried to block him from... And the Prophet said, let him come. And then Omar went from being that person who everyone would have judged. People said, there's no way he'll accept Islam. One woman even said, his donkey will be more Muslim than he will. Like his donkey will be a Muslim before he does. Right? Which is an Arab way of saying he will never be a Muslim. And subhanAllah, he went from being that person to being the one that the Prophet said what? If there were a messenger after me, it would be Omar. Can you imagine how interesting that must have felt? To be there during both of those times? To see who he was? The man who described himself as an alcoholic, as a womanizer, as an abuser. And then just a few short years later, the Prophet is saying that when he walks down the street, shaitan takes the other road. This is why the judgment thing doesn't work, guys. It doesn't work. And we have to, we have to rinse ourselves. You are allowed to not want to put yourselves in environments that you know are not good for you. You get what I'm saying? So how do you handle that? How you handle it is this, and this is what he described. Pray. No, where'd you go? You went and prayed? He said, yeah, I prayed. They said, but the people of the market didn't stop. He goes, who looks at them for when it's time to pray? We know when it's time to pray. So what it means is that when you're in, when you're going through the journey of life, you have to pick your spots and times. There will be some groups of friends that you can spend the day with, but you can't spend the night with. Make sense? There will be some friends that you can spend some time with, but you can't spend too much time with. Okay? And by the way, this isn't also a judgment. Oh, I'm better than them, so I have to be careful. No. Sometimes two people that have the same goals, when they get together, they get what we call very ignorant. Right? All they do, they can't take anything seriously. Right? They can't be productive at all. You guys ever tried a friend? And all you did was sit there and scroll, right? There are certain friends that their presence will make you productive in, in work, in life, and also spiritually. You want to make sure that you have those friends in your mind marked as people that I want to spend time around. Okay? I have a friend. He teaches Arabic here. His name is Ustad Ubaidullah. And one thing that I learned from him, you know what I love being around Ustad Ubaidullah? All the time, mashallah. He's a nice guy. Aw, okay? But you know what I really love being around him? During Aisha Salah, when we're hanging out. You know why? He's that guy. You know which guy I'm talking about. As soon as the Adhan for Isha comes in, he stands up and goes, let's pray. Right? And I'm like, I don't have a loo. He's like, go make it. There's a bathroom. I'm like, it's broken. He's like, use the hose. No excuses for Isha with this guy, man. He wants everyone around him to pray. Because he says, guys, we've all hung out till 1, 2 in the morning before and gone home and prayed the Isha as if we were already dead. You know, how many rakat did I have wudu? Was I praying towards the right direction? Right? Those Ishas where you can't focus because you're too tired, subhanAllah, but we were with each other for six hours playing sequence or some other game. You know what I mean? And so he's the one that is that guy. And in my mind, wallahi, I'm not joking, when it comes to Isha every night, I'm like, man, Ubaidullah is probably praying right now. Ustad Ubaidullah is probably praying his Isha right now. And that's the kind of, again, you have these categories in your mind. There's some people that are very generous. 
And because of their generosity, you want to be around them, right? You want to glean from that. There are some people, I had a friend who didn't pray at all, but he was incredibly dutiful to his parents. And even though when it was time for Salah, I'd be like, you want to go pray? He's like, you go do your thing. Pray for me, please. Right? That was kind of his vibe. And I was like, man, you got to start praying, man. And he's like, I will. I know, inshallah, after Hajj, right? <laughs> Famous Muslim words. <laughs> I would go upstairs and pray, and subhanAllah, when I would come back downstairs from praying, I would hear him say, like, talking to his mom on the phone. And then I would remember that I hadn't called my mom for a couple days. So there's no one in the earth that is all bad. Do you get the point? So while I'm the one that's praying, he would look at me and like, you haven't called your mom for three days? What, what kind of son are you? I call my mom every day. And so he has a reason to think that I'm a problem. He's like, I don't want to hang around you. Right? You weirdo son doesn't call your mom. Meanwhile, in my nafs, I could be thinking, well, you don't pray. See, now we have a, an argument, a battle. against. Instead of looking at what we can offer each other, we're looking at why we're problems. So when you look at people around you, don't look at why we're problems. Because, and no offense, we all got problems. No, you can't look at someone. Perfection, salam, he passed away. The person that you could look at and say there's nothing wrong with him, he's, he's buried in Medina. After him, there are people with mistakes, indiscretions, and shortcomings. There's plenty of them. If we keep focusing on those shortcomings, we're never going to learn from each other. We're only going to judge one another. But if we can look at each other and see the good that somebody does, then we will become a better version of ourselves because of the presence of that person, while still being responsible to protect ourselves. Okay? All right. Uh, the next one, the next trait, and then we'll finish up this, this section. There's a man named Ibrahim ibn Adham. He was a very pious person. Okay? How many of you have been around that friend that is very generous? Like almost too generous? Anyone have a story to tell about a generous friend? Yeah? Who wants? Mm. So he pulls up and she's telling him like to, to give him money basically. And he looks at his wallet and all he has is a fifty dollar bill. Oh god. And he like hesitated for like a second and he gave it. Yeah? SubhanAllah. There's a person who was uh, de- dealing with homelessness at the time. The brother said that his mom called him, right? So he was driving with his his friend, and mom called the friend and said, Hey, there's a person who looks like they need some help. Give them whatever cash you have. And he opens his wallet and there's a nice shiny fat fifty. And he looks and he's like because you know you have to do at that point, right? You know you have, there's so many layers to that. You have to listen to mama, right? You have to give sadaqah. You don't want to be the person. You know, subhanAllah, whenever I think of that, man, I always tell, whenever we travel, uh, and I tell people, always have cash with you because you don't want to be the person that says, you know, when Allah describes in Surah Al-Ma'un, those who don't believe in the Day of Judgment, have you seen the one who doesn't believe in the Day of Judgment? We're all thinking of like these crazy signs, right? Who cannot believe in the Day of Judgment? Is this person atheist? Is this person this or that? The one who repels the orphan. And they don't give food to the needy. Isn't it crazy how Allah says that some of the strongest signs for denying the Day of Judgment is that you don't do the good deeds? Because if you saw the person who needed, you would think to yourself like, this is it. On the Day of Judgment, if I give this 50 to this person, I may not be able to do what I want with it now, but on the Day of Judgment, when I'm like barely hanging on the Sirat, what if they walk by and pull me up? What if I'm like, the doors of Jannah are closing, 
and I'm like watching it in front of me close, and this person says, oh Allah, this person help me, so help him, help her, and I get let in, right? Allah says that one of the denials of the day of judgment is that you don't do those kinds of deeds, right? And of course, in that moment, you learn. So I guarantee you now, when you have cash and you drive by someone in that situation, you think to yourself, I got to do it, right? So Ibrahim ibn Adham, he did something really amazing. He goes and he was having dinner and someone offered him some broth. You guys know what broth is? Okay, it's like just soup, right? It's like boiled. <laughs> you know when they cook the good stuff and then they have the water from that? They give you that, okay? That's broth, right? So they gave him some broth. And it's not like a very like elaborate or fancy or expensive meal. It's very cheap. It's literally salty water based on the fats of the meat that were cooked in. So he stopped and the person, all they had to give him was broth. Okay? So he takes the broth and he drinks it. Then he opens up his bag, whatever he has with him, and he takes out some merchandise. He used to sell leather goods. So he takes out three pairs of leather sandals. Sandals. Probably, I don't know, like Balenciaga is probably selling something that they bought from Pakistan and they rebranded it, right, for $3,000. So imagine that. He takes those and he, and he cleans the bowl and he puts them back in the now dry bowl and he hands it back to the person who gave him the broth. And he's traveling with his friend, and his friend is like, he didn't give you truffle oil, homie. He gave you broth. He didn't give you nihari, even. He gave you salty meat water. And you're giving him three pairs of sandals? What is this? And Ibrahim ibn Adham, he said back to him, what? He said, be generous, and generosity will be shown to you by Allah. Be generous, and generosity will be shown to you by Allah. This is a really interesting, you know, when true friendship occurs, when somebody has the trait of friendship, it spills over and sometimes it just becomes a part of their normal personality. Like when you're, when you're generous with your guests, you start to become generous with strangers. Because it's just something that's immutable. It's undeniable, right? And so Ibrahim ibn Adhamir is saying, look, generosity is something that I have, it's become a part of who I am. But now, even with somebody that isn't generous to me, I'm extending that generosity to them. And there's a psychological reality to this too. Have any of you ever been the recipient of generosity in your life before? Everyone please nod your head. Yes, otherwise the boomers were right. Okay, just nod your head. I'll tell a story that always shakes me. Whenever I go out with younger people, they're not paying for anything. It's just not a thing. These young guys pull out their little cute bank checking cards, right? UTD logo on it, limited $17. They're meeting me for coffee to talk about how they want to get married. We go to McDonald's to get a dollar cup of coffee. Steph, let me cover it. I'm like, relax, <laughs> Habibi. Go change your pull-up and come back to me and let's talk, right? Okay? And I'm not saying that disparaging. I'm saying it lovingly. Why? And I'll tell you why. His name is Ahmed Mustafa. And I'll never forget, in Chicago growing up, he went to DePaul University. And we were driving one night in Bridgeview, Orland Park area, South Chicago. And we were driving... And he had a job. He had the best job in the world. You know, he used to work at Kellogg's, you know, the cereal company. Our weekend, our weekend Islamic classes were lit. You know how many small boxes of Frosted Flakes we had? This guy, and he would always be like marketing. He would write it for like marketing and just bring like, and we bring like the new stuff, like stuff that's only released in like Europe. He's like, I got you. This guy, subhanAllah, you know, I'll never forget one night we were driving. We went to this place in Chicago called Bel Wadi, this uh, Arab spot. And we got some shawarmas and we ate some food. And we ate, and after we ate, the bill came, and I was like, ooh, ooh, let me take it. And he's like, he grabbed my hand, he goes, put that down. 
and he pays. And you know what he says? He says, when I was in college, my older brothers never let me pay. And now you're in college, and I'm not letting you pay. When you are with kids in college, you better not let them pay. That's literally what Ibrahim ibn Adam is saying. Show generosity, you'll get generosity. He is demonstrating it. And what happens now? There are recipients of this generosity that have no clue who this guy is. Just like I didn't know who the guys were for him. But this is the prophetic character. This is the training, the tarbiyah, the ta'aleem that happens when the character of the Prophet is embedded in the heart of people. It has no choice but to keep propagating going forth. It has no choice but to keep growing. And so this was a story of Ibrahim ibn Adham. Okay, then there's a couple more that I'll tell you, and, and this is some of the miracles of generosity. Number one is that Omar, uh, his son, Abdullah, was given a nice tray of kharuf. You guys know kharuf? Okay, the, the um, what's in English? Lamb? Lamb, yeah. So he got a, a tray of lamb, and he said, you know what? I really want this, but I'm going to give this to my neighbor because I know he's hungry. Which is, by the way, that's like the nicest thing a person can do is give someone their kharuf. Okay? And so they passed it, and then the neighbor got it, and he said, oh my God, this is my favorite, but you know what, my neighbor is hungry, so I'm going to pass this on. They passed on this tray of kharuf seven times, guess who it ended up with? Abdullah bin Omar, the first guy. He's like, man, now it's cold. <laughs> you know, it was going to end up with me anyways, I would have just eaten it then. He said, look at the generosity of these people, look at how generous they were. They all received this tray of food, which by the way, I know you guys are like, oh, you can just go get some. No, man, this is stuff that they would get. The Prophet said one time he did not see the stove in his house. The companions described for three months turned on to get a fresh tray of meat and rice cooked for you and presented to you was like once a quarter. And this is what he got. And they passed it on, passed it on until it came back to him. The same happened with another man. His name was Masruq. He had a friend named Khaythama. They were both in debt. When they came upon money, instead of thinking of their debt, they thought of their friend's debt. Masruq went and paid off Khaythama's debt, then went back to his house and found out that Khaythama paid off his debt. Right? Why? Because the generosity begets itself and it keeps moving forward. Okay? Imam Ghazali finishes and he says that when you get to a point where this becomes your MO, material wealth that you have, you don't see it as being nafsi nafsi, just for me, just for me. He says you get to a point where you will pay for the meal of your brother or sister. And he describes this very beautifully. He says, they will be eating the food, but somehow you'll be tasting it. He says, they'll be taking a bite, and somehow the pleasure of eating that food will be within your heart. Right? I always tell people, one of the greatest positions in the month of Ramadan, not sought after, no one has it, no one runs after this, is not the one who gets the first plate, but the one who serves the food. This year, inshallah, may Allah give us Ramadan. Rush to be the one who serves food and watch your appetite disappear. Because as you see people take the food and eat the food, this statement of Imam al-Ghazali rings true. You will start to see them and you will feel almost as if your appetite is disappearing. Why? Because you chose them over yourself. You chose to be one who serves instead of one who receives. Okay? And so he said that the Prophet ﷺ taught his companions this and this is a perfect example of how they live their life following him. There's so many different examples that he keeps uh, continuing, uh, but we'll go ahead and refrain from sharing all of them because uh, for the sake of time, And we'll conclude here. The next responsibility that we'll talk about next week, inshallah, is how to give and how to take care of each other 
uh, and he mentions specifically the second duty is to take care of people, satisfy their needs that they have, attend to them without waiting to be asked, and taking care of them even without them knowing. So this is like another layer now, right? This is like a level up. Have you guys ever taken care of somebody and gone out of your way to make sure that they would not find out? So that they would understand that this is a person that is being taken care of, but you don't want it to be something that you get thanked for, right? So this is going to be the next chapter that we'll cover, inshallah, uh, next week, next Monday during hard work. Anyone have any questions at all about this chapter that we just read? Anyone? Yeah. So I apologize if this is like a tough question, but going back to like this thing you're saying, like some people just have really low ceilings for like how much they can give. Yeah. What do you do if that's like all your friends? Yeah. Like, I, no, seriously. Like, yeah, yeah. I like I'm not trying to talk about myself, but I feel like I give so much in mm. comparison to the friends that I have, and I'm not trying to brag in any way, but it just it gets tough sometimes. How do you find people who can just listen? So there's a couple, and that's a good question. Thank you for sharing. It's hard to open up like that. That's a good question. I will say this. A lot of it depends also on the season of life that people are in, right? So some people might be in a certain, like, they might be in the first 90 days of a new job, or they might be, you know, stressed out about their family situation, or they might be, there's, a, you know, Sheikh Omar had a great uh, post on social media this morning where he's talking about the person that you're, that you're uh, you know, uh, beefing with might be going through something really difficult, right? And so have that. So the reality is that when you're having these moments with people, it's really important to sort of give them the benefit of the doubt, okay? However, at the same time, while you do that, it's not mutually exclusive, while you do that, you may also want to sort of examine within yourself, number one, why, what is the reason why you are being this way, so generous, right? Because some of us are generous because it's just in our nature, and some of us are generous because we want people to be generous with us. The second one, according to the, the Imam al-Ghazali, he would say that that's a problematic generosity because generosity has no conditions, right? Allah in the Quran says that when you feed people, feed them for the sake of Allah. We don't feed people for the sake of some sort of you know, a, a recompense or condition. No, we feed people for the right reason. So when you're being generous, true generosity is quiet. It's silent. It doesn't make a loud noise. It doesn't remind people. I remember there was a guy that always used to give me and my brother gifts like on Eid and stuff, and then he would say to us, remember when I gave you that gift? And it was like 14 years later, right? I was like, it was freaking like, it was like, you know, like a, a slime container when I was five years old. Man, relax, you know? But he would always dangle it over our heads. And, I don't, and again, it's such an interesting trait, like giving a gift and then reminding somebody. The Prophet actually described this in a hadith, and he said that it's actually one of the hor most horrible traits. Taking back a gift, if somebody doesn't respond to generosity, he said it's like ingesting your own vomit. He says, The one who takes back a gift after they've given it because they're upset with the person is like the one who ate their own vomit. So what, what does this mean? It means that generosity has one precondition and that is that it is, it is true. It is sincere, right? So number one is make sure the generosity is sincere. If the generosity is sincere, then we should feel no irritation without it being reciprocated unless we're burning out, which is a reality. There is a reality. People can feel burnt out. And in that case, there's no problem for a person to center themselves, to look and see what they're doing, what they're giving themselves to, to dedicate time for taking care of oneself, and to not always be concerned about the rights and the needs of others while ignoring their own rights and needs. Okay, And maybe looking at that circle of friendship and seeing perhaps there is 
a smaller group that's closer. Perhaps I've, perhaps I've skipped some steps. Or perhaps the language that these people speak them, they like send me a, a text, right? And their language of love is communication, but mine is different. So there's all these sort of thoughts that a person has to have going into this thinking, okay, is it truly that they're just not reciprocating or are they reciprocating differently or are they unable to right now? Is it a capacity bandwidth issue? There's all these questions that have to be sought, inshallah. Okay? But at the end, realize that your, your generosity is not wasted. It's never wasted. Allah will always, always reward for that. Okay? Rework or socially or whatever is because Allah is giving you the reward for your generosity. Right? Maybe. Anyone else? Any questions? Yeah. 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 Sure. So does that refer back to genuine generosity because like why are you pissed if you're giving it away? In a way, and also they'd be careful not to do it like obviously in front of the person. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. So if you gave me a gift and I was like, thanks, and I received it, because usually the way that it works was like, hey, this person dropped off something for you. Right, so they wouldn't even like stand around to wait and like. I don't want to offend anybody, right? and you also don't want to be. If a person truly doesn't want it, you don't want to say you have to. I'm being generous, right? You want to make sure that it's being received. Okay, no, good question. Anyone else? Okay, we'll go ahead. And, oh, one more. Yeah. Good question. So when you give, Allah will always reciprocate and give you more. So if I give with that intent, is that me being selfish? The answer is no, and I'll tell you why. Selfishness would be selfishness stops after you leave the earthly realm. Right? So the dunyari realm. Selfishness is saying, I'm inviting you for dinner, and inshallah I'm expecting an invite back. Right? But piety, taqwa, and ihsan would say. I'm inviting you for dinner, and I am only expecting reward from Allah. Does that make sense? I'm so far away from expecting any reciprocation from you, that I'm only expecting it back from Allah, because that's what Allah promised. So when we say, you're expecting reward from Allah, we're saying that that is what you're focused on, not some sort of like dunya we exchange, because that's called business, that's not called friendship, right? But when you expect it from Allah, Allah is what Allah is. When you expect it from Allah, then that's the highest level of ihsan that a person can have for the sake of Allah alone. Okay? Okay. Barakallahu feekum, everybody. Jazakumullah khairan. Uh, we'll see you, inshallah, next Monday uh, for the next section. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.